This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 624 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one. My name, it's Matt Bob. And I'm your head number two, better known as the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this mind-melting episode, we are back to reviewing new comics and then making our must-read picks for next week. And finally, the THN historian Jason Sachs checks in to talk about who the hell are the Eternals. So... Let's plunge into the pile, kitties, because it's review time in the cigarette. <laughs> Evil laugh, right? Whoa, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was obvious. You yeah. didn't have to. Disc- this week's new comic pile is teeming with muscle bound bros, Nazi UFOs, bunnies with bad teeth, drunk supergirls, and a brand new X Planet. As always, our reviews come from this week and last, and we'll start with Matt's reviews from Wednesday, June 9th. Matthew, you have the con. First up for me is The Secret Land, number one from Dark Horse. This was written by Christopher Emgard with art by Thomas Ira. No way. You know that these guys are European because their first names are missing some consonants. Yeah, no doubt. The creators of The Whispering Dark are back with another creepy occult historic fiction tale that takes place right after the Germans surrendered after Hitler's death in World War II. If you didn't know, that's when Hitler died. Ben and Catherine were supposed to run away after the war, but he's still fighting the Japanese in the South Pacific and believed Catherine to be dead. Secretly, Catherine is spying on a hidden Nazi base in the Arctic where they've developed a hideous technology that could ensure the return of the Reich. I missed The Whispering Dark in 2018 when it hit the stands, but I may need to check it out after reading this issue. Anytime you mix Nazis, the occult, and insane, creepy technology, I am totally in. Emgard's script does an excellent job slowly building a feeling of dread while laying out a convincing love story for the main characters as well. Ira's art works very, very well, whether he is selling a World War II covert op or drawing Nazi flying saucers. This was a great first issue, setting up a very creepy love story. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I mean, I thought it moved a little slow, but uh, I did like it. I thought the art was great. And yeah, you know, it's like you said, it pushes all those those fun little buttons that I like, you know, Nazi super science, maybe a zombie or a monster going on. We but don't know what's happening. It takes happening a turn, exactly. too, because you're right. At yeah. first, it was just sort of like, oh, this is a romance comic. And then there's one page where you go, oh, okay, I guess there's a little more going on here. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm giving this a buy it. It was fun. Uh, and like you, I also missed uh, The Whispering Dark. So this was this was a fun surprise from a couple of creators I was not familiar with before now. Right on. First up, I'm reviewing Beef Bros. Number one. Uh, there is no publisher name uh, associated with this. It is from... Aubrey Citizen and Tyrell Cannon. Uh, writer Aubrey Citizen's Kickstarter campaign for this issue describes it thusly. Beef Bros, the aspirational leftist superhero comic. <laughs> Two happy-go-lucky himbo bodybuilders stand up for their community 
pushing back against sadistic cops and greedy landlords. And honestly, it delivers exactly what it promises. Yeah, it's right there. Uh, a pair of ridiculously jacked 1980s wrestling gear wearing dudes live lives of encouragement and support, running afoul of those that would use their power and position to oppress others. It's relentlessly positive, but the bros aren't afraid of throwing down in the defense of others. While I absolutely applaud the ideals espoused by Huey and Ajax beef, the aforementioned beef bros. Sure. Uh, the comic is very much like an entry level, like Cliff's notes version of, of what being a liberal or a leftist really means. Uh, but hey, you know, whatever. Like if, if this comic book teaches even one reader, like some, some good lesson, then more power to them. Kudos to everybody involved. That isn't to say that Beef Bros number one is all liberal preaching. It is a hair metal music video wrestling match come to life. The art by co-creator Tyrell Cannon is a glorious mashup of 80s wrestling spectacle, Lisa Frank posters, and Howie Long action movies. I had a ton of fun. <laughs> Howie Long action one. movies. <laughs> Look, man, uh, he was the beefiest action star I could think of that wasn't normally known for being an actor, like Schwarzenegger. You know what I mean? Okay. Are there nerds out there celebrating Howie Long's filmography? I mean, great NFL analyst. I'll take nothing away from that. Are going to remember Hulk Hogan, yeah. Thunder in Paradise. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know All about right. that? Hulk Hogan action movies, maybe. <laughs> sure. Like, hey, Howie Long, Firestarter. That guy made. That uh, wasn't the Firestarter? name of the movie. It was not Firestorm. Firestorm? No, I think it was Firestorm, and nobody watched it. <laughs> Fireball. I don't know. Anyway, I had a ton of fun with Beef Bros. Number One. I'm giving it a buy. It. Unfortunately, uh, at the time of this recording. I couldn't find anything about where people who didn't back the Kickstarter could find the comic. The last thing I read was that it had started to ship out to backers, which is great. Uh, but I will reach out to Citizen and hopefully by the time we get this posted, I'll have some info to put in the show notes. I think that's just where they are right now. I think yeah, it, it could be like it could. This could just this just could be something that you have to mark on your calendar to like watch for. Yeah. Now, I enjoyed it. It was fun. And I agree, like, it, it touched on police brutality. It, it touched on mistreatment of the homeless. It touched on, like, a lot of those things. And did it in a fun and cute way. And the art was great. It was super fun. But I don't know that I need to read more than one issue of Beef Bros. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I mean, sure. Like, yeah, where does Beef Bros go from here? <laughs> you know what? But that's not, that's not our problem, Matt. It's we not. are reviewing this one issue. I of agree. Beef Bros. And I'm not saying that it was bad by any means, but like by the end of it, I was done. You know, I, I was just sort of done with it. I, and I'm, that's fair. I'll give this a buy it. I don't know that I need more, I, I guess is all I'm saying. There was nothing about me. It was like, give me some more Beef Bros. Unless, I mean, unless they really lean into it and they're like all right yeah, yeah beef yeah. bros are gonna tackle pro-choice issues in the next issue yeah like, i mean it it, it let's it see what you got on, beef boys <laughs> yeah it, it depends on whether or not you know the creators have more to say you right know? and but and that's fine sometimes sometimes these things are just one and done. sure but when you describe oh. it as a leftist comic book i would love to see them like the beef bros explore socialism the beef bros sure you know well, look but at i mean the like there was even uh, like, <laughs> it know? wasn't it wasn't just police brutality but there were there were even right there was even a message in here about like the valuing of uh property yeah no but over i'm like i'm just people, saying if they you know, argue it's more like very so some of it somehow 
somehow there is still a subtle undertone to beef bros. Right. Uh, that you like, you can peel it like an onion. I would like to, if, I'm just saying, if they're going to do more, let's beef bros take on critical race theory. Let's do it. You know? Sure. No, yeah. <laughs> let's get I'm into all for it. it. Like I'm 100% in, on, it, in, it's, in favor of it's it. It's a fun yeah. way to explore that if that's where they're going to go. That's all I'm saying. And, and and meanwhile, you know, after you learn a valuable lesson, you get to see a guy flex his pecs so hard that he can deflect bullets. Sure. I mean, they're super tough. Yeah. Next up for me is Bunny Mask. Number one from Aftershock. This was written by Paul Tobin with art by Andrea Moody. Paul Tobin has been on a horror kick for a while now, and it's paid off with Eisner nominations for his Colder series. Here, Tobin teams with... Oh, was that him? That was I forgot him. About, I loved Colder. I forgot about that. It was really good. That's why. Here, Tobin teams with Maniac of New York artist Andrea Moody for this new horror tale that starts with a flashback to the worst day of child safety nurse Tyler Severin's life. Flash forward 14 years and Tyler's about to be reunited with the little girl he attempted to save that day by pure happenstance or perhaps by fate. Both are connected. By the legend of the bunny mask. Now, I love horror movies and I love horror comics, but this story looks to be trying to create a mythology for a new supernatural thriller sort of genre of horror that hasn't been great since the 80s. It's been quite a while since we've had like a masked killer or like Freddy, Jason or Michael Myers that has made a big splash. And Tobin's story feels like it's mining creepy pasta slender man mythology a little bit with a Donnie Darko fashion sense. There are some legit creepy moments. The opening scene is pretty disturbing, but when the monster actually shows up, it's, it's just not scary. There seems to be a compelling story, and Moody's art is great for this kind of horror romp, but Tobin has some work to do if he's gonna make us believe that a girl in a miniskirt with claws and a bunny mask is part of a larger supernatural tale of evil or vengeance or wherever he's going. I can't say I'm uninterested, but you didn't sell the monster. Maybe we saw too much of it. You know, I'm not really sure, but I'm giving this a skim it. I will admit that I kind of jumbled this in my head a little bit. I, I assumed at first that the uh, little girl at the beginning was the bunny mask. Well, there, there, I mean, maybe we don't know. There's and, a twist, uh, so. and, but also there are a lot of, there are a lot of overt things in the story that say that she's not right. But I don't think it's a, as cut and dry. And I think that maybe they're showing us more than we should see, which is something that you're always complaining about when it comes to horror yeah. stuff like this. Like, we don't need to see Jason's origin. No, don't want to Michael know. My like, we don't need to like, we don't need to know that Michael Myers, you know, like some of it. Yes, but not, you know, we don't need a deep dive into like the traumatic past of, right. of, of Freddy Krueger. There's, right? there's you, nothing you, compelling about coming from a broken home. It, yeah, like, right. Exactly. Like, I it's get like, it. it. And that's it, also like, not their fault. And I don't need to feel sympathetic for my killer either. <laughs> right. Right. It's like you want us to be scared. You don't want us to like sympathize. Right. And so I don't know. I'm 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 torn. You know, the jury's out on this for me as well. I did love the art. Uh, I like uh, Andrea Moody a lot. Um, So I'm with you. I'm going to give this a skim it. I need to reread it because obviously like my critical thinking skills didn't do me very well. Well, the narrative was a first pass. The narrative was weird, but I think it's supposed to be weird because you're following that main character who is the the nurse guy. And he is just as shocked as you are when this twist hits. 
So yeah, there's I a mean, larger like, thing that's happening, I guess. But I, I'm sorry. I, I just wasn't scared of the monster. And if you're going to have a monster, it better like say what you will about the Slender Man. I think the whole thing is stupid. But those sure. images, they're scary images. They're creepy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit? Last week, Image Comics released Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, number one. It might be called The Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. I don't really remember. It is the, it's fine. I think it's The Six Sidekicks. I don't know if the word The is on the cover, but that's okay. Okay. Uh, as I said, it came from Image Comics. Uh, Kyle Starks of Sex Castle and Old Head fame returns with this tale of a murdered television action star and the six former sidekicks that band together to solve the case. Uh, Trigger Keaton is like the hard-drinking, roundhouse-kicking, child-co-star-abusing baby of Chuck Norris, Lee Majors, and David Hasselhoff if they all pooled their DNA and had a super baby like in the movie Twins. (laughs) When his former co-stars meet up at the funeral, and at first I was mistaken, I thought that they would all be child co-stars, but at least like they're not. One of them was like a modern actor, and one of them was like, yeah, they're just co-stars. One of them was like an OJ Simpson that like w- retired from football and went to TV and movies. And uh, he, yeah, he was worked, the co-star worked on of Frankenstein and Frankenstein. Frankenstein and Frankenstein, <laughs> right. That's so great. When the co-stars meet up for the funeral, not only do they want to find out who did it, but they all have their own reasons for wanting Trigger dead. Starks throws every 80s TV cliche in the book into a script to hilarious effect. We even get little TV guide excerpts of the failed shows the sidekick so, worked on. They were so good. But they're like uh, cut off so you can't read the whole thing. You yeah, just get yeah, the you're idea. Yeah. You're like, you just get the basic idea. Yeah, and that's right. all you need. It, well, and, and uh, some of them are very obvious about what they are. Like, because one of them was just like the voice of the car. He was right. the voice of the talking but car. But they're also right? like was, side by side with kit. like, here's what time it's on on Tuesday. And then here's another news article about how the show was canceled and why. Yeah, right. It's, it's great. It's great. Uh, We also get to see how their lives have kind of derailed in Trigger's wake. Not all of them see it that way, but they definitely did. Uh, Artist Chris Schweitzer is a perfect fit for this story. His characters are wonderfully exaggerated Hollywood caricatures. I can't believe I made it through that sentence because that's a very difficult series of words to say. Wow. Uh, And he delivers the humor and action the story needs perfectly. Based on Starks' past work, uh, I already had a feeling that I'd really enjoy the six sidekicks of Trick or Keaton number one. I'm happy to say it absolutely proved me right. It gets a huge buy it. It was a delight. Yeah, Kyle. So Starks is just proving to be so clever, as clever as it gets. And he can also take a really clever plot and deliver on it in fantastic ways. This is screaming to be like a six episode miniseries or something. Oh, hell yes. On Make FX. this a Netflix show. Please. Or, oh, yeah. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, it, it can be on FX or HBO, yeah. whatever. I don't care. It, wonderful. Just wonderful. And oh, the God. art is at first the art I, I was looking at. It was like, well, it's pretty like simple, but it works really well. It's like it tricks you. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it looks very cartoony, uh, but all the best cartoonists have a way of using what seems like simple lines. Absolutely. Uh, to convey a particular style. Like, for example, uh, Trigger's current co-star, the guy that finds him dead, is also being forced to, like, run errands for him. 
And he, so he finds him in his trailer and they do a close up of his face and he's got this like perfectly chiseled Hollywood yeah. modern day jaw with big, big puffy Botox lips. It's great. Right. But like, they're also designed like Nintendo Mii's almost where they're yeah, like, kind of, right, they're yeah. so simple, but everyone looks completely different and you instantly notice they are, they are. caricatures. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. This was just a ton of fun really well executed i think when this is over it's gonna be a laugh out loud riot huge buy it for me when your indexes look behind you because that's where the rangers gonna be let's move on to this wednesday 616 I chose Compass number one for my first review of the week. It is also from Image. It's written by Robert McKenzie and David Walker with art by Jeremy Greenwood, who worked on Stumptown volume three and is awesome. I would like to add. Uh, don't forget it was presented by Greg Rucka. I was just going to touch on that. <laughs> so I'm just going to read the solicit because there's a lot that happens in this. And I try to sort of take it apart to boil it down. But I think the solicit just does a great job. Greg Rucka proudly presents a new direction and adventure with Compass. Shahida El Amin is many things, scholar, cartographer, astronomer, mathematician, scientist, explorer, adventurer, and when needs to be a two-fisted fighter. Setting out from Baghdad's legendary house of wisdom during the Islamic golden age, Shahai's quest brings her to 13th century Britain, where the Welsh are whispered to possess the secret of eternal life. But Jahai is not the only one after it. Reteaming from the pages of the old guard, Tales Through Time, and mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not going to read all this. We thought when they said this part, like the reteaming from the old guard, Tales Through Time, this was going to tie into the old guard. It does not. This is a completely separate story. I read the solicitor. It's just the same creator. Just the same creators. They happen to be friends of Greg Rucka, and Greg Rucka came to Image and said, I'm going to risk my name on this. You put this out because I think these guys are great. I read this list at first because there is a lot going on in this historical fiction tale. Walker and Mackenzie's story is very well researched and it borrows characters and settings from real 13th century history, but adds a Spielbergian sense of action adventure to the mix. Greenwood's art is awesome. He is channeling Frank Miller here at his best with scratchy action sequences and big bulky characters. Everything about this first issue felt like a fresh, intelligent, and new take on historical fiction that just isn't on the stands right now with an excellent cast. This book was fan-freaking-tastic. The second I put it down, I immediately texted Joe and freaked out about it. I'm giving this a massive buy it. It's true. That's exactly what he did. And I agree. It was rad. Um, I took you know, off my I, shirt. I, I took off my pants. I took a picture of myself and I sent it to Joe and yeah. I said, this book is awesome. <laughs> uh, he didn't, he didn't even actually say anything. He just wrote the word compass in all caps on his chest in like Casey's lipstick or something. Uh, but yeah, no, this was really great. Um, I like, I don't, I don't really know that I would have plucked Frank Miller out of the ether for, for a comparison, but I did love the art. I just, I kept getting this Frank Miller daredevil vibe to a lot of what was eh, going on. Eh, in this. I don't know. I, I, I mean, you know, if you saw it, that's fine. I, 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 that's just not where my, my mind went, but um, yeah, I thought the art was, was excellent. Uh, the story is compelling. Yeah. I loved it. It's a buy it. And you know, I, I don't always, I don't always get hooked into historical fiction. 
uh, not because I'm it's bad, but it's just like, you know, history is kind of a history is the sort of thing that like you have to be interested in whatever era it's talking about. And not every piece of historical fiction appeals to me, but this really drew me in fair enough i think when it's really well researched that's when it gets me i suppose when I mean, like it, these, yeah. these people put the work in man that is cool um and i will tell you uh they say and i agree of course the old cliche is never judge a book by its cover but i defy you to walk by the cover of compass number one on the stands and not pick it up and at least flip through it because it's awesome yeah the cover is so cool looking but yeah, well done. This is a buy it for me. Hey, Greg Rucka, present more stuff. <laughs> you don't know. Keep, keep on presenting, Greg. <laughs> uh, I'm giving full credit for this comic book to Greg Rucka. <laughs> nice. Nah, Robert, Robert. Well McKenzie, done, David friends Walker. of Greg Rucka. Let's never name them again, shall we? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Art by various friends of Greg Rucka. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. My first pick for this week is Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number one from D.C., I was not expecting this issue to open the way it did. We knew from the solicits that Supergirl would be joining a young woman from an alien world on her quest for vengeance. But this isn't really Supergirl's story at all. Instead, writer Tom King focuses on Ruthie. That's how I'm choosing to pronounce it. R-U-T-H-Y-E. I guess. The daughter of a rock farmer that was viciously murdered by a criminal drifter. We spend half the issue learning more about Ruthie's family and her mission to hire a bounty hunter to slay the man that killed her father. What she finds instead is the woman of tomorrow who happens to be visiting Ruthie's world on her 21st birthday. I am a bit torn uh, about King's depiction of Supergirl as a sullen youth running off to get drunk alone on an alien planet because it has a red sun, you see, but the touchstones of the character are still there. Like, uh, Supergirl's inability to completely turn her back on Ruthie's dilemma and her lack of fear in, you know, standing up to defend people, even though her powers are gone. Yeah. I And I would argue, I don't know that she seems like a sullen youth. Like maybe this is just her getting away for a minute. She's turning 21. Like, I mean, she can't have a normal 21 year old birthday. She, she runs off. Go she runs somewhere. off to an alien. Why didn't she bring any of her friends with her to this alien planet? Because she just wants to go somewhere where she's not Supergirl. Get drunk with her dog. I totally get that. You know, that's not necessarily a sullen thing. Her life sucks sometimes. She's a little bit young to have such a midlife crisis. Is all I'm saying. I don't think it's a midlife crisis. I mean, it's her twenty first birthday. Uh, uh, King unfortunately also uses some pretty unsavory moments of violence against women and animals. Uh, for what seemed to me to be nothing more than shock value. I think the rules are very different here, and that's an excellent no, uh, way just to okay, show that. But, but Matt, this is what I'm saying. I understand the why of it. I understand, but I also am saying I found it distasteful. I don't need it. I, I don't need that as an illustration that these are bad people on a bad planet where people are treated badly. Fair I enough. understand. The incredible art by Bilkis Evely and colorist Mateus Lopez elevates King's story above its flaws. It's a truly stunning piece of comic book art. Uh, Evely proves that she has the ability to tell a perfect story with or without dialogue. And Lopez's palette helps Ruthie's world stand apart as truly alien. Like at first you're like, okay, they're in a bar. It's brown. 
you know, whatever. And then, but then later in the book, it's like, this lake is perp is bright green. These mountains are bright purple. The clouds are like, it's truly gorgeous and alien. I am a little iffy on Tom King these days and Supergirl woman of tomorrow isn't without its problems, but it wasn't bad. It's definitely the best thing I've read from Tom King in a while. It's my favorite thing. I, w- I should say that I've read from Tom King in a while and it is absolutely gorgeous as well. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah. The, the art was just stunning. Absolutely amazing. P. Craig Russell-esque in some panels. Really, really beautiful stuff. I didn't find this flawed at all. I think this is some of the best Supergirl that I've read in a long time because it made her seem approachable and like a real girl who every once in a while, yeah, she wants to go out and get drunk. She can't do that on Earth because people expect her to be a certain thing and be a certain way. So she runs off to an alien planet. I get that. I didn't have a problem with the violence because this is a very violent place and the rules are absolutely different. And there are some things that happen in it that happen for reasons, make really good sense. Every time Superman goes someplace with a red sun, it is a clever way to show us that Superman can get hurt. And that's not necessarily what she was doing here, but because of that, some characters get hurt and it makes sense. And I thought it was, it was used very well. Now, with that said, we'll see next issue if I still feel good about it or not. But yeah, this was some of the best Tom King that I've read in a while. And a very, very interesting story for Supergirl. Because we took her out of, we took her out of all of her crap that she normally lives in and just said, we're going to tell a self-contained Supergirl story here in this weird alien world with a really compelling other main character that... yeah. I thought he developed fantastic. I thought Ruthie was great. Yeah. Like this issue took me a a while. It took me several pages to kind of get into the cadence of it, like the timing of it, because Ruthie is young, but she's very highly educated. Yeah, definitely. And so she speaks in a way that you would not expect in a world full of dullards. Right. And, uh, And so it's like, as she's telling the story of her father and what happened to him, it's just like, it's this very flowery, almost Shakespearean yeah. prose, right? And then we get to the bar and the, and the guy at the bar is just like, oh, vixen, oh, wench, I will slay your dragon for you. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I really ended up loving that character. Yeah, she's great because she's also kind of naive to the, to the world that she yes, is in as well. Right. And that becomes very apparent very fast. Yes, yeah, right. And I like that as well, too. I'm giving this a massive buy it and I'm really curious to see where it goes. And this is not what I expected from Tom King at all. I really enjoyed it. Last up for me is planet sized X-Men. The one shot from Marvel. It is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. I don't know exactly what I was expecting here. And I don't, I mean, I think, I mean, what do you, what I, do you, I don't know how much we can talk about this comic without spoiling. I danced around the broad it. Strokes I, of it. I danced around it very well. No spoilers here, but this is exactly what the cover says it is. It's planet sized. Hickman has been setting the X-Men and the entire mutant race on a path. Unlike anything we've seen, but Jerry Duggan may have just truly demonstrated the power a united mutant race can wield. And it is massive. Not a bad way to end the Hellfire Gala at 
all. And I cannot say I saw this coming. Pepe Larraz may have just drawn the best looking comic work of his career. This book looks amazing and really unlike anything I've seen from the big two in quite a while. It's not all spectacle either. He just does some really creative things in this book, along with the coloring that just pop off the page and look amazing. Duggan's script is wild. (laughs) And every time I thought that he was taking things too far, he sells his ridiculous idea and gives us some truly great X moments in the middle of all this Hickman madness. I don't know where this is going or how the X-Men are ever going to be the same after this. But what happens in this comic book is definitely going to cause a problem that the entire Marvel universe is going to have to address. (laughs) I'm giving this a buy it. I mean, first of all, it was great. It was really well written. It was a lot of fun, but on sheer balls alone on what they did here. I, I mean, you <laughs> gotta respect where they're going with it. Buy it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay. You can go online. I'm sure that there are people out there just like rampantly uh, discussing the events on Twitter without even, uh, you know, considering it because right. I think it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a big fucking deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, now, and I should stress uh, like this, this I will spoil. It's a big deal but not necessarily for the X-Men. How do you mean? The, X, the X-Men are still living their best life on Krakoa at the end of this comic. There is a huge status quo shift in this comic, Yeah, but it doesn't happen to the X-Men. I, I mean, I would saying. argue even the X-Men aren't sure that they can pull this off. Well, um, but they do pull it off. Yeah, but, the like, uh, they, but there's that scene where Iceman's like, you realize this goes wrong. It's going wrong in front of everybody. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, no, it's like, that's all true. It, like, I'm not saying like, obviously the X-Men are very heavily involved. Right. And there's some serious foreshadowing with cap here as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, So anyway, uh, this, this is like the comic book uh, equivalent of that Nathan Fillion Firefly gif where he starts to argue and then he thinks about it and goes, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, where totally. he like, he, he like raises his hand to argue and then he goes, what? I and didn't stop. That happened to me three times. I was like, yes, okay, right. I hate, I'm like, I hate this. I'm out. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I'm back like, in. So like, like, I, like now every wait time, a minute. Every time, I was like, okay, I'm back in. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So every, every time the next step in the plan occurred and I was like, there's no fucking way. What are they doing? Yeah. Then Duggan, Hickman and Duggan, I'm sure, not, not, like not to take away anything at all from Jerry Duggan, but you know that this is Hickman's show. Yeah. I mean, they're working uh, together, obviously. And so, but like when the next step of the plan kicked in and I went, good luck. <laughs> the writers were like, and here's how it all works. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that makes perfect sense to me, that, I guess. And that's just it. I think they're so gentle with the fact that like. And those are the X moments I'm talking about where it's like when you if you were just to lay out what happens in this comic book and say this is what they're going to do. I'd be like stupid. Don't want to read it. But when you be like, well, this character uses their power this way. And when we all go, all right, we've seen him do that. And this character uses their power this way. And we go, yep, that's what they do. <laughs> now, I, <laughs> like, I, I, I will say this. 
there are a couple of moments. There are a couple of key components of this plan that require some of the mutants from Araco to act as huge MacGuffins. Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, it's like, well, luckily, this mutant's power is this. Right. Which I was uh, okay with because the, the mutants no, yeah, of Araco, course, no. by the time, by the time we got to that yeah, yeah, yeah. By the, by the time we got to that point, I was all in. I was like, fine, fuck it. I don't care. They look super fucking yeah. cool, too. <laughs> they, they're bizarre. They're so strange. I have spent many weeks thinking long and hard about X of Swords, Ten of Swords, sorry. And I have finally come to the realization, I've, I'm being honest with myself, I did not like it. But that's because I honestly, well and truly do not give a shit about Otherworld or Araco. I don't. I don't care. I'm sorry. How do, you, how do you feel now without spoiling anything? Well, now I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at least curious. I'm curious to see where it goes. And that's but just like, it. Like they, they, the forward thinking, the storytelling here is, sure. is showing. They, I, they have thought this out. And if you, there is a payoff to that Araco shit, to this other world shit. And yeah, here yeah, it yeah. is. And I mean, it works, baby. Yeah. Man. Can, it's like. You know, it, but the same thing happened in his uh, Fantastic Four run. The same thing happened in his Avengers run. I would argue like, not as well. Not, it, it didn't. But I mean, in terms of like, well, here's something that unnecessarily complicates things for no reason whatsoever. Wrong. It is for a reason. This is the reason. It just took three years to get there. I don't think he sold it as well in those runs. I think here he's well, really I mean, Maybe we're not to it. the end yet, so yeah. I guess we'll see. Yeah. But I, I like, so that you could say that like, you know, third time's the charm right like he's sure. perfected his craft over right. those two long arcs. i mean you should get better as you go i mean you know yeah, but it, it, like but all that stuff was like yeah didn't you know that black bolt secretly had four other wives across an entire universe full of inhumans you've never met before no why <laughs> you know and like uh, didn't you know that the that there are that the universe births these creatures that are in charge of protect the star brand is in charge of See, protecting and universal. That's, and that's exactly where like that Avengers run got away from me or that fantastic four run got away from me. This X-Men run. Every time I think it's about I, to get away from me. Yeah. I finish an issue and go, all right. You still got and me. I see, and I, and <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, I haven't reread the Avengers run yet, but I will say rereading the FF stuff in one go. It helped. It, it came together much better yeah. than it did reading it month to month. Um, but this, this, like right now, I, I just, I had, we've spent so much time with the idea that like Krakoa has a sister island that's been lost in another dimension for a million billion years. And on this island is a race of mutants and all they do is make war. Oh, by the way, they live here now. It's like, okay, well, fine. I like, now I have to care. I already had to care about every mutant ever created. And now I have to care about a million other mutants that I've never seen before. I don't think you do. Yeah, well, now I'm not sure I do at all. Exactly. <laughs> now, now, now I'm not sure I have to at all. Um, anyway, but all that said, I'm like, okay, when this was over, I was like, well, I can't fucking wait to see what happens now. Uh, this is a huge buy it. It is a game changer. Like yeah. we, the, the Marvel, Marvel loves to say, Status quo changing event. It will the X Men will never be the same. The X Men will have never been the same. No fewer than at least three or four times just in the last two years. Yeah, and this is for real a moment that is going to change the course of X Men storytelling 
until I don't even know when. Oh yeah. I, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from Hickman and the writers that are working with him, but it's beautifully told, beautifully drawn, huge by it. Like this whole thing just broke my brain in half. It was like, awesome. I, it was just fucking it was, awesome. It was, it was really, it was just, it was rad. Like the, 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 it was rad. I don't know how else to describe it. It was just like, and then Iceman did this. And I was like, That's fucking rad. <laughs> I know. I was right there. The world is mine. Our final review of the week. It goes to Static Season One, Number One from DC slash Milestone. I'm gonna read this solicit here because it's pretty a pretty perfect summary. Uh, yeah, and you kind of need it if you didn't read Milestone. You kind of need Zero. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'll get into that. Uh, bullied nerd Virgil Hawkins wasn't the kind of kid you'd normally find on the streets of a, at a protest, but like everyone else in the city of Dakota, he was fed up. Well, he's in Dakota City, is the name of it. It's like New York City, uh, yeah. but it's Dakota City. Like, they didn't call it Dakota City in the 90s. They just called it Dakota. This is a, a complete reset from what I can tell. So I understand. I understand. And we're going to get into all of that. Unfortunately, the first time he stood up to raise his voice, the world turned upside down. The experimental tear gas released that day left some of his classmates maimed or dead, but it left Virgil and others with stunning new abilities. Virgil has power inside of him now, real power, the ability to channel and manipulate electromagnetic fields. But there's anger burning inside him too. What's he supposed to do about all of this? And first and foremost, what is he supposed to do about his bullies now that they've got superpowers too? That is the premise for this modern day reimagining of Static, the first title of the proper long-awaited return of the Milestone universe. Now I say first title, but as Matt pointed out, uh, this is not necessarily the introduction of this version of the character, which is why I read the solicit. Uh, there was a one shot uh, called Milestone Infinite Edition or something like that. It may have even been a digital first. Yeah, it was. It was uh, only digital. It was. It was previously released, and that is where you first saw the origin of the new Static. Or probably the the rebooted uh, origin of Static. It's and, still Virgil Hawkins. And the reboot of the entire Milestone U, from what I understand. That's, yeah, basically, yeah. Writer Vita Ayala smartly ties Virgil's new origin story into modern day events. And time will tell how this version of the so-called Big Bang will spill out into future titles. In the past, I don't remember exactly what the event was, but there was an, there was an event called the Big Bang in uh, the Milestone universe. Not everybody like was at the same protest. <laughs> so yeah, they, they, they got powers somehow. And I don't think it was all tied to one event or it was, it, pardon me. It was tied to one event, but not an event like this, where right. it was like, everybody was at a protest. Ayala does a wonderful job putting readers into the shoes of a black teenager in the year 2021 with the regular high school insecurities on top of the everyday indignities he's forced to endure because of the color of his skin. I could not, and Matt, you can double check me on this, but I looked through this entire comic four times and I could not find a credits page. It's not there. I don't know if they're it's just not, like, we don't need to have a credits okay. page for digital comics or something. I don't know. Well, it, but was this one a digital comic? This was a digital first. Yes. Okay. All the milestone stuff is digital first. Oh, you're right. It is. But it, but the I think the turnaround window is shorter for milestone. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Every place online I checked attributed the art to Milestone veteran Chris Cross and colorist 
Nicholas Draper Ivy. Their names are on the cover, but there is no credits page to say who did what. That it, it uh, is crisscross confirmed. It, if crisscross actually drew this comic, and it seems that he did, it is unrecognizable as his work. The line art shifts at will between a very loose, thick-lined, almost impressionistic appearance to a more traditional superhero look. Like, if the entire book had been drawn that way, I would have been like, oh, okay, it's crisscross. To an over-exaggerated anime style when people started, like, showing up with their heads on fire and stuff. It's well executed, though it is a little jarring. But what really turned me off about the art was the coloring. There are many ways to utilize digital effects in a way that enhances the art. But here, they're used to the point of distraction. Everything from the school lockers in the background, like they're not on fire. They're not glowing. They're just lockers. To the crackle of Virgil's electricity screams on the page in a way that I found just really unappealing. And it's a shame because otherwise, I really enjoyed this new take on Virgil's adventures. For now, just based on the art, I have to give Static Season 1, number one, a skim it because it was hard for me. It's hard for me to recommend, uh, you know, like, you got to check this out because I didn't like the art. Fair enough. I would all take it further, and I would argue that as a first issue, this sure thinks you read that milestone one shot. And it needed a stronger recap for sure. Yeah, and if you didn't read the milestone one shot, like I did not, you're not going to know what's going and, on. Yeah, and neither did I. Like he and does- this is a reset of a character, so we need to spell that out. It became oh, and, apparent. And Virgil, in Virgil's narration, he does say, it became you must apparent. talk about the events, but we, we, we don't really get much of an actual flashback to them. Not events. at all. It becomes very apparent that this is a complete reset. And it is different than anything you know about static. And I'm not pining for the loss of old static continuity, but I didn't know going into it. And I found myself pretty confused. And I found them referencing some stuff that happened somewhere else. And that makes it a tough first issue to care about right there. Second, I thought the the idea of experimental tear gas that murders a bunch of people and gives some other people powers. Well, that seems like something we should have tested a little bit, right? Well, but that's <laughs> comics though. I, I mean, mean come on. I'm sure, not going to, I'm not going to sweat him for that. That's, that's comics, comics in the sixties and seventies. Not so eh, much anymore. Nah, nah, whatever. But I, I did think like the voice of the character was great. I thought the way that the family was written was really great. I agree that crisscross did a great job here. He is a huge anime and video game guy. And it's very apparent. It's true. It's true. But very the coloring, they, it's like not everything needs to pop every second. If it all pops, then nothing is popping. You know what I mean? And, you it, know, it's a personal taste thing. Right. And, and like, I like the look of certain things. I just don't think this is a good way to start a number one issue for a character that you're trying to breathe life back into that was done digitally first. It, there's a lot of fall down here and i don't necessarily know that's this creative team's fall down i i think the marketing of this milestone stuff is weird i think not tying this in a little more and spelling it out for me who was lost for the first half of the issue i was just like okay wait a minute i i missed something (laughs) big time (laughs) i mean i like to me to me it was obvious pretty much from the jump that it was a reboot but uh, but i ended like i understand where you're coming from like so it's one thing to say like static number one, 
was released digitally first. And then a month later, it came to comic book stands in print. Right. That's fine. But what's not necessarily fine is saying, well, the story that introduced Static That's prior to the events of Static number one was only released online and then not in shops. That's what I'm saying. And now so we're going to. People gonna... that walk into the shop and see Static number one for the first time, they're like, oh, great, Static number one. Exactly. It's, it doesn't do a great, it doesn't, it doesn't do a great job introducing the premise but i feel like that may be an editorial decision it's a marketing it's a marketing mistake. right and it's too uh, bad and, because they've got a good thing going here and yeah. the, the, like i said the voice is very authentic and very well done i can only give this a skim it because i, I, I feel, agree i feel bad there was like, weird art stuff that happened and yeah they should not we are beyond having to have story issues like this we're just, we should be beyond that. We should have figured it out by now. Yeah. Right. And I know they're trying to yeah, market like, this a certain di- like way. Digital, digital comics are not a new thing. Right. You no, know? not at all. Uh, like, and quite honestly, this goes back to an old complaint of mine, which I know, and Joe yells at me for it, but just have a little thing. See Milestone Zero. That's where but this happens. Like, you know? I'm just saying, like, no, my no argument recap with you that, page, nothing. My argument with you there is that I don't think it's always necessary, but it's definitely sometimes necessary. Here it's necessary. And here, like this book needed a recap. This page. should start with a big recap page. Here's yeah. the world. Here is what happened. You can yes. see that here. here Find is, out more at dccomics.com. Here is static story. Yeah, right. Go. You know, because someone comes and picks this yeah. up off the stands, they're going to feel like they missed 12 issues. Yeah. And, and you know, I feel bad. Like, I don't, I don't like to compare my opinion uh, to other reviewers too often, but I went online because I was like, is there something I missed about this? Like, and people online are glowing about static number one. And I read this and I went, I mean, the story's good, but it's got a lot of problems. Yeah. Like, am I excited that there uh, a black superhero is being represented and the, and a very authentic black voice is out there? Absolutely. But, yes. But and you, I'm 100%. I think it's, but you gotta do it right. Far, it's, it's far past time and it's definitely welcome 100%. for milestone comics to make a return, but you gotta do it right. There's rules. And I read there's, this and there's was basic underworld. rules. And yeah. this misses some of those rules. It's a skin it. Review time is over. And as always, there can be only one Joe Patrick. Which one of these comics is going in the THN permanent collection? I don't know. You know I've we're been thinking of this every week. <laughs> I know. And I it's not like I haven't been thinking about it the entire episode. I like my heart wants to give it to six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, but in terms of like me being interested in what comes next, it's Planet Size X Men hands down. Fair enough, and that's fine. I'm giving it to Compass Number One just because I think it was like I said, Compass Number One was great. It was so amazing. I was really close to giving it that Supergirl book because that Supergirl book took me by surprise and was gorgeous to look at. I I think that like. It, in, from my standpoint as a person who has like been kind of turned off by a lot of the stuff that Hickman's been focusing on this uh, Planet Size X-Men made me go well okay you got me now fair enough and so yeah it, it gets this it gets the slot Every week, you can find our complete review list on our Twitter and our Facebook page if you want to read along with us and let us know what you thought about these comics and, or anything you read yeah. on THN Cover to Cover this Saturday. 
on Facebook Live from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. Like, for real, I want to talk to people who read Static. I want to know if I'm being an asshole about it. I know jokes about being racist because obviously I think it's... Ha ha ha. You didn't like it because you're racist. Ha ha. Let's get that out of the way right now. Let's talk about stuff we didn't read, too. I mean, come on. Yes. There was more than eight comic books that came out in the past two weeks. Oh, so true. So true. (laughs) Let's talk. Uh, Look, uh, yo, no spoilers right now, but if you haven't read Nightwing 81 by Saturday, it's your own fucking fault. Because I want to talk about what happened in Nightwing 81. And you know he's serious because he dropped a yo in there. (laughs) I dropped a yo and an F-bomb. Yo fucking... (laughs) Now that we've stripped out of our yellow AIM scientist comic reading suits, we wear them so we can keep everything in perfect, pristine, near-mint condition, obviously. It's time to talk about our must-read picks for next week, and whenever we're rolling the bones to predict the future, we like to do it in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. Joey, what is your must-read pick for next week? We go straight from science to mysticism. That's how we do it. We're like That's Dr. Doom. Do That's right. Next week, I am excited to read... Infinite Frontier, number one from DC Comics, not to be confused with Infinite Frontier, number zero, or Infinite Frontier, Secret Files, one through five, (laughs) that have already come out digitally. This is Infinite Frontier, number one. It is the proper Infinite Frontier miniseries written by Joshua Williamson with art by Zermanico. I think it's Hermanico. Hermanico. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Hermanico. Uh, it is a number of pages for four ninety nine. Uh, my guess is that it's 40 or 48 pages. Here's your solicit. When our heroes saved the multiverse from Perpetua in Dark Knight's death metal, Ugh. everything was put back where it belonged. I don't care if we ever and talk about that again. <laughs> I get it. Uh, and we do mean everything. All of the damage from all of the crises was undone. Crythethiv. Crythethiv. <laughs> And heroes long thought gone returned from whatever exile they had been in. Most of them, at least. Alan Scott, the Green Lantern from the Justice Society of America, has noticed some of his allies are still missing in action, and he's determined to find them. There are others, though, who would rather remain hidden than explain themselves, like Roy Harper, a.k.a. Arsenal, a man who should be dead but now is not. Arsenal's back? I didn't notice that. That happened at the end of Infinite Frontier oh, number that's zero. Right. Why that's weren't right. you paying attention? I was there. That's right. Plus, what does all this mean for the DCU's place in the multiverse? On opposite sides of a dimensional divide, both Barry Allen and President Superman ponder this question. Not to mention the dark side of it all. Ugh. Or a team of multiversal heroes called Justice Incarnate. <laughs> a lot going on here (laughs) yeah really (laughs) i got so excited that i threw my voice out so infinite frontier number zero promised a lot uh and it it left a lot of things unexplained uh, for an aforement or for a a previously unknown future date that date is now the time is nigh what is the else world what is the new earth one where what the hell where is dark side living what is that weird place he's living so joshua williamson is going to give us the rules what's the difference between the multiverse and the omniverse i and don't the, i don't know if i want to know <laughs> and the i don't even know and the nobody gets old verse <laughs> i am a sucker you guys know this i don't really need to get into it but i am a sucker for the dc multiverse i love the lore of the alternate realities of the dcu 
And I love it when they get explained to me in great detail. I like the rules. That's what I like. Like, if you're going to do it, I give me some rules. The rules. It's just like, uh, it's just like last week when we talked about like, show me a cutaway. Show me a cutaway yeah, of uh, the totally master down. building. This is how show Daredevil's how, club uh, works. You know, whatever. Yeah, right. Like I want to give, I want to know. I want to know that shit. I want to know what order the universes live in. I want to know what's different about them. I want to know who's good, who's bad, who doesn't care, who's a dude, who's not a dude. Who's still dead, who's not dead. Who's not dead, who's still dead. I'm cutting all your cowboy? cisgender bullshit, by the way. Who's <laughs> so. a rabbit? No, it's not gender. Like there is a there's a there is a world in the multiverse where all of the men are women. Oh, that's the, right. That's right. All the characters that are normally men are women and I vice versa. Totally forgot. And yeah, like uh, give it to me. Give it all to me. I want to know who's a vampire. We're done. Stuck in Vic- You're done. Stuck in Vic- My pick stuck for in next Vic- week is Gamma Flight number one Jack the Ripper? from Marvel. It costs $3.99. If I don't do this, he's not going to stop, folks. It's Batman. It's always Batman. It's written by Hal Ewing and Crystal Frazier, who has worked on Marvel Voices Pride number one and served as a consultant on Immortal Hulk with art by Lan Medina. Here's your solicit. Spitting out of Immortal Hulk, Bruce Banner's Gamma-powered allies go on the run! Gamma Flight had one job. Oh, that's right. That's what this is. Find and stop the Hulk. But when push came to smash, they sided with the Green Goliath, and the human world intends to make them regret it. Puck, Absorbing Man, Titana, Doc Sasquatch, Dr. Charlene McGowan, and horribly changed Rick Jones are fugitives from every known authority, but a team that full of Gamma is bound to break before long. Al Ewing, Crystal Frazier, and Lamadina mastermind a whole new world of Gamma! It's Al Ewing, and it's Puck leading a team. I mean, yeah, say no more. I uh, look. love Puck. And Lamadina kicks fucking ass. Yeah, I like Lamadina. Super talented. Uh, you know that your team is serious when it's got two doctors. Yeah, no less than two. One is a Sasquatch, by the way. That's awesome. Well, yeah, one one is a Sasquatch. <laughs> I yes. love it. <laughs> yeah. The THN trade of the week goes to My Own World. It is a graphic novel from First Second Comics. It's written and drawn by Mike Holmes. It's a uh, 19.99. It's you know it's probably a an adequate number of pages. Here's your solicit. Mike Holmes, the artist behind the hit series Secret Coders. Oh, Secret Quarters was really good. Yeah. And Wings of Fire delivers his solo debut, My Own World, a middle-grade memoir-inflected fantasy graphic novel. Memoir-inflected. Wow. I think he's saying that he's writing it as a kid. I think it's memoir-infected. I don't think that's it. <laughs> I think it's been infected by a memoir. Uh, Life is difficult for nine-year-old Nathan. All he dreams of is hanging out with his older brother, watching Raiders of the Lost Ark and enjoying summer vacation far away from the neighboring bullies. The neighborhood bullies. There you do that again. All he dreams about... Ah. I'm going to pee while you do this. Okay. All he dreams of is hanging out with his older brother, watching Raiders of the Lost Ark and enjoying summer vacation far away from the neighborhood bullies. When he overhears his parents talking about a family crisis, he seeks sanctuary from his troubles. In an abandoned lighthouse, Nathan discovers a portal to a berry-colored world where time has little meaning and he finally is in control. There, his imagination takes him on a wondrous adventure across seas and through the air with new extraordinary friends of his own creation. In his magical hideaway, Nathan is safe from the anxieties of his life, but can he bring himself to face the real world? Uh, We love first, second books around here. 
Secret Coders was great. It's a, uh, it was a Gene Luen Yang graphic novel. Mike Holmes was the artist. This looks great. It looks great. It sounds great. Looking forward to it. Be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read. And don't forget to pick up the THN Book Club read for June. It's The Downriver People from Boom Studios by Adrian Smith and Matt Fox. Thank you, future past self, for the reminder that you need to read The Downriver People by Adrian <laughs> Smith and Matt Fox. Get that done. Who the hell is that guy? Now the theaters are opening back up, Marvel is getting back in the movie biz. And not long after Black Widow hits, we're getting possibly the biggest, weirdest origin story of the MCU yet with the Eternals. Never heard of them? Well, don't fret. The THN historian Jason Sachs is here to tell you just who the hell are the Eternals. I'm Jason Sachs, host of the Classic Comics Cavalcade podcast and the Jason and the Movie Nuts podcast. I'm here today to answer a question a lot of people have been asking. Who the hell are the Eternals? Stay with me for a minute here. This is going to sound like a tangent, but it's all going to come together. The Eternals are really freaking confusing and weird. Remember in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, when the team converges on nowhere, a giant skull floating in space, and a character explains that that skull comes from a celestial? And remember even more when the Collector shows a video of giant robot-style creatures landing on a planet of cavemen, and then those robots completely transform the planet? Well, that was a foreshadowing of the world of the Eternals. Yay, Marvel, for planning ahead again! Of course, this all gets even more complicated with the events of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where we meet Ego, played by Kurt Russell, who claims he also is a Celestial, as well as the father of Peter Quill. Of course, Ego thinks he's the only Celestial alive, based on his experience. Ego had the idea of committing galactic genocide through the expansion. Ego dies at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Sorry for the spoiler. So, are the Celestials all killed off? My guess is probably not. What if there are more Celestials out there? The first Guardians movie hints at that idea. Jack Kirby's original creation is even more cosmic than what Guardians 2 delivers. No real surprise. Jack Kirby introduced the Eternals back in late 1975 when he landed back on Marvel. Kirby had just come off an ultimately unhappy four or five years at DC. Started it with him creating the new gods and ended with him penciling issues of Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter. As he always did, Kirby was searching for revenge against his old employer in the best way he knew how. He took an exciting idea and went even bigger. So like the new god saga was an example of taking Thor and going bigger, the Eternals would take the new gods and go even still bigger than that. Kirby imagined nothing less than the foundation of the very human race on the planet Earth at the hands of the impossibly powerful creatures called the Celestials. The Celestials weren't just gods. They were the beings that made the gods, or at least the inspiration for the gods, in the form of a group of creatures called the Eternals. With names like Icarus, Circe, Mockery, Zuras, Gilgamesh, and Sprite, these beings were immortal and incredibly powerful though only fractionally as powerful as the Celestials. Think Galactus and the Silver Surfer. 
the Celestials created two more races at the same time they created the Eternals. The most sinister were the Deviants, all hideously deformed and incredibly difficult from each other. They are ugly figures whose internal evilness matches their external ugliness. The Eternals and Deviants are eternally at war, and the third race is caught in the middle. The third race is humans who are evolved from cavemen with the intelligence to change our planet and the complete innocence of the war happening all around us. As Kirby's comic begins, the Celestials have returned to Earth to begin their 50-year study of whether our planet deserved to survive or if the whole Mishigash should be thrown away and started fresh. Of course, long before the answer was revealed, the Eternals comic was canceled and the characters fell back into obscurity. They were revived a few times in limited series, appeared in a couple guest shots in comics, and for a while both Cersei and Gilgamesh were Avengers, but no one did much with the Eternals until 2006. That's the year Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr., in one of the last great John Romita art jobs, revived the Eternals in a new miniseries. If I had to bet, I would guess this mini would be the inspiration for the Eternals movie. In the mini, all the Eternals have amnesia. That's because of a spell cast by one of their kind, Sprite. The Eternal stuck at age 12, and apparently the inspiration for a soft drink, wants to be treated as an equal, so he magically causes the heroes to lose their memories. As we follow the many, Icarus and then other Eternals start to wake up and realize what happened to them, and that leads to a revolution. Uh, that amnesia is probably the best explanation of why the Eternal set out the events in the Avengers movies, and also nicely sets up either Gemma Chan or Angelina Jolie or someone else to become one of the next generation of Avengers in a few years. It'd be a treat to see one of them in this new movie. So kudos to Marvel for foreshadowing the Eternals movie seven long years ago. If their new movie is half as good as Guardians, I'll be extremely happy. Thanks for listening. Excelsior! That is it for THN 624. And next week, we are celebrating Pride Month in the Ziggurat by examining LGBTQIA heroes in Comics Plus, a discussion of the latest DC Pride issue that hits stands this week. Now, if you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news we've been following, which you can track on our Facebook, hit us up on our live call-in show. It's called THN Cover to Cover. It happens every Saturday at 11 Central Time. It's hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget about our question of the week. That's right. This week's question just so happens to come from Matt Baum. With the news of the upcoming Death of Doctor Strange miniseries, we wanted to hear about your favorite characters that probably can't sustain their own monthly series. Yeah. So we're talking characters that you love that are probably better off in small doses. <laughs> Please hit us up with your question of the week suggestions. We do do this most Saturdays and we are always in need. Matt can't come up with a real winner every single time. Oh, I'm pretty good. Uh, I mean, you've done well so far, so, you know. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline number I just mentioned, 402-819-4894. And you could be internet famous. Uh, remember, if you are sending in an MP3 or leaving a voicemail, please keep it to two minutes uh, or less and share the air. I think if you are leaving a voicemail, it will cut you off. Yeah, it does. 
If you're new to the show and you would rather give birth to a space station than listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN, their digital long box archive. I blocked that out, man. You can I blocked find that, that out. And you had to re you had just reignited it in my it memory. It was something. You can find that at twoheadednerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. We want to thank donors like our newest patron, Sarah King, which proves that there are women that listen to this show. There you and they're go. Not all, they're not all friends of Matt Bomb because I asked and he said he didn't know it. And they're not all Amy in North Dakota. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to all the comic reading dads out there or dads like ours who enabled our nerdiness as youngsters with full knowledge that their child wasn't going to grow up to be a Tom Brady or a Serena Williams or even a Shirley Muldowney. Look that up. If you know who that is, props to you. I'm not going to tell you, but just trust me when I tell you my dad loves Shirley Muldowney. Thanks, dad. And happy Father's Day. Until next time, true relievers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just shame you by saying you don't perform oral sex on people because heroes don't do that. Well, we didn't need to get into that now, did we? This is the two-headed nerd. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Signing off. <laughs>